Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. John chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn there with me, we're going to put it, I think, on the screen if we can. And I'm going to read it along with you. It's the story of Jesus' first miracle at a place called Cana. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six, six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you that you are the miracle worker. I pray this morning, God, that your new wine would flow. I pray that you help me to speak this morning with God, that my words would be your words and not mine. Anything that's just of me, let it fall on deaf ears. But what's of you, let it go deep this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever had a potluck or thrown a party? I guess this is why we throw potlucks now is because we don't run out of food. And if we do run out of food, I can blame everybody else who came because they didn't bring enough food. But have you ever had a party and all of a sudden you've run out of something? Like you ran out of drinks, you ran out of food. It's pretty, pretty stressful, isn't it? Right? And when you're already at that point when you've run out of something, it's too late to go get it. So this is kind of what happened at this wedding. Jesus shows up to a wedding, and they run out of wine. Now, it was the third day that they realized this. I've been to some wedding receptions. Different cultures have different types of wedding receptions, just like different cultures have different types of funerals. I've never been to a three-day wedding reception. But that's part of the culture. It's three days. It takes a long time. So you need a lot of wine to cover for three days. And it was the third day when Mary realized there was a problem. At least Mary knew they had a problem. What was the problem? They ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. My question this morning is, what will you do when the wine runs out for you? What do you do when the wine runs out? New wine, the Bible is always used 
And, and what did Jesus end up doing? Jesus created new wine. He created it from water, but he created new wine, wine that was not there before. Now, new wine has a lot of symbolism in the Bible that you may know about. You may, this may be new to you. But new wine has always been a symbol of God's promises being fulfilled. When there's new wine, it means that there's been a new harvest. So the new wine is a celebration that, oh, the harvest has come in. Let's press the grapes and, and make wine out of the grapes. New wine only happens because there's been a new harvest. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 28, it says, So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will live secure in a land of grain and new wine where the heaven drops its dew. This was Moses talking about them going into the promised land. Part of the reason it was the promised land is because there was new wine, new grain, new wine. So stepping into the promise of God, the fulfillment of the promise of God is always represented by new wine. Wine is a symbol of joy. It's a time of celebration. New wine is cause for celebration. It means that the, the check came in the mail, the commission came in, the big job paid off. If you're a contractor, the person you did work for finally paid you. Whatever it is, it's payday. And so new wine is cause for celebration. There's joy that's always associated with the new wine. Not work. It's a celebration that the harvest has come. It's a symbol of joy. But most importantly, in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, wine is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. God's presence among His people. New wine is a symbol of God's presence among His people, but it's also a sign of His presence in His people. You know, there can be a real sense of the presence of God happening in the room, but on the inside, you ain't feeling it. I've been there. You ever been in an environment where God seems to be moving, but inside, I'm like, I don't know what's up with these people, but I'm not feeling what they're feeling? Sometimes that's happened to me. I'll be quite honest with you. It's because the demonstration of God's presence has kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, that person is laughing on the ground hysterically. This person over here is crying uncontrollably. And this person's barking like a dog. God, if that's you, I don't want it. And I remember being in that environment. And I could sit here and go, God, that's their flesh. That's not your spirit. I don't want to laugh uncontrollably. I don't like being in control. I, I don't want to be crying all over the place. And God whispers to me, oh, I see, you like to be in control. Well, that's not what I meant. And the Holy Spirit's going, if they're pursuing me for all that they have, and that's my manifestation on them, what are you worried about? And I remember sitting in that environment, convicted to the core, because I was so uncomfortable. I was with Kenny. You remember that, Kenny? That conference we went to, Kenny and I are going, I don't know what's happening in this room right now, but I feel like I want to leave, but I'm compelled to stay because though some of this stuff might be not God, who am I to determine whether it is or it isn't? And something lit in me that day that if there's new wine, I want it regardless of the manifestation it'll have in me. 
And so, God, I'm willing to fall on the floor and laugh. I'm willing to park like a dog if it's you. Don't particularly like that one. But I don't want to be in control anymore. I just want all of you, and I want you to do in me whatever it is that you want to do in me. And so I began to realize the only way for me to experience new wine is not for the wine to taste the way I like it. It's that I needed to become the vessel that the new wine can that can contain the new wine. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the wine is gone. In this wedding, the wine is gone. When the wine starts, when the wine, W-I-N-E, when the wine stops flowing, the wines start showing. That's going to be my little preacher quote for the day. When the wine stops flowing, the wine starts showing. What does that mean? Well, in church life, when the Holy Spirit is no longer welcome in this place, when the Holy Spirit is resisted by the people of God that say, I don't want that if it means this. When I want to be in control and I know how to draw people into church and I know how to raise finances and I know how to do this and I know how to do that, and we put ourselves in control, well, the wine stops flowing, but when the wine stops flowing, the wine starts showing. Well, church isn't doing it for me anymore. You know, it was cool in the beginning when everything was new and flashy, but now it's just, here we go, another word of knowledge, and yeah, somebody got healed, yay. And now it's baby dedications, okay. Or, you know what, when the wine stops flowing, I can just worship Jesus at home. Why gather? I can, I can just be on my own. Wine stops flowing, the wine, we need better coffee. That's what we need. If we had better coffee, church would be great. That's the wines, the W-H-I-N-E. And when the wine of the Holy Spirit stops flowing, the wines of man begin to show. And suddenly things that were exciting become boring, and we start complaining about the very things that we first enjoyed. Now, I want you to notice something in the story. Jesus was there. Jesus was at the wedding, but still the wine had run out. He's there, but the wine is gone. Just because you invite Jesus to church doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is the one running the show. Just because you prayed a prayer a long time ago and asked Jesus into your heart doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is flowing in you, filling you continually, and leading you that the Bible is the basis for your decisions on life, not popular opinion. Just because Jesus is at the wedding doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is in charge. Now, Jesus always could have performed the miracle, but it wasn't until Mary said something that the miracle actually happened. Something had to happen. Jesus wasn't just going to do it out of his sovereignty. He didn't just stand up. Do you think Jesus didn't know the wine had run out? Jesus, there's there's no more wine. Oh, really? Hello, I'm God. He's waiting for something. And even when he's told that, he's like, not now. The new wine in church begins to flow when a spirit-filled and spirit-led people come together to worship and to pray and to serve. That's when it happens. 
It doesn't happen because you invited Jesus to come to church. It doesn't happen because the coffee is great. I think we have good coffee. But it doesn't happen because all of the accoutrements, because the building is good, because there's people here my age, because the programs are great. It happens when a spirit-filled and spirit-led people come together and the atmosphere of the room changes when you are experiencing personal revival through repentance and forgiveness and living water begins to flow from you there's a personal revival that happens because of my commitment to not live offended because of my commitment to surrender my whole heart to Jesus I get renewed from the inside out and as Jesus said those who believe in me rivers of living water will flow from them so I gather with a few And as I gather with a few who have committed themselves to this lifestyle of revival, something begins to happen. What was a personal revival becomes this little pocket of revival. And miracles begin to happen. And God begins to turn up. And the atmosphere begins to change. Then when lots of little pockets of people get together, the whole atmosphere of the room changes. And so the lost come in and go, what is this? What's going on here? What what is it about this place? I'm glad you asked. That's the new wine. You're experiencing the new wine that's flowing in this place. It's not like the old. It's new. It's not a new model of church. It's not a new exciting idea or the next dynamic famous preacher or a great Instagram. It's new wine that flows from a spirit-filled and spirit-led people who come together to worship and to pray and to serve. But for some Christians, their wine is gone. It's run out. The party was great, but you've run dry and your wine is gone. And now your W-H-I-N-E is starting to come back. And you begin to whine. Life is hard. My job is hard. My marriage is hard. And the wine begins to come. And this is why Jesus stressed to us in Matthew chapter 9, new wine means a new wineskin. He told this to a group called the Pharisees, which are like the most religious people of the day. They weren't necessarily bad people. They were just people who did as much as they possibly could to please God in the way they thought they were supposed to please God, and that was by doing good things and being great moral, ethical people. Funny how none of that made a difference if they had not yet surrendered their hearts to Jesus. They actually became hard and calloused and began to try to crucify Jesus and execute Him. But the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples not fast? In other words, not eat food for long periods of time. Why do they not fast when we do? And I don't think they were saying it necessarily accusingly. What they were saying is, this was our system of doing things. If we want God to be pleased with us, we have to do this. We got to not eat food. We got to pray. We got to wash our hands. We got to follow... Because what they did is they added over 600 different regulations to what God had actually said. They became even more legalistic. And they're going, we're doing all of the things, but your disciples aren't doing any of them. Why Why do they not fast? And Jesus tells them, new wine 
requires a new wineskin. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit, the very thing that I'm talking about now. That Jesus was about to usher in an era of new wine. Through his sacrifice, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, permanent here Holy Spirit that was to come. There's new wine coming, but you can't contain what the Holy Spirit is about to do if you don't change. Just like new wine can't be put into an old wineskin. An old wineskin is one that's a leather bag that gets stretched over time because new wine is effervescent. It's bubbling, it's growing, it's active, and it expands as it matures. Once the wine matures, it's no longer active, and it's about as much as it can expand. But if you put new wine in an old wineskin that's already been stretched out, when the new wine gets poured in, it'll rupture, it'll burst the old wineskin. So you put new wine in a new wineskin. A new wineskin is able to be stretched. It's able to grow with the growth. It's flexible. I've heard lots of people preach that you can take an old wineskin and make it new again. You can massage it with oil and pour water on it. I respectfully disagree. The whole point of this message is Jesus says you can't use an old wineskin, but yet I keep hearing preachers talk about you can make an old wineskin new. I'm like, that's the point of the story when Jesus said, no, you can't. But yet we're still trying to massage the old thing. Well, God, this is how I've always prayed. This is how I've always read my Bible, and this is what I was taught, and this is what I still believe. And God goes, that's fine for the old stuff, but I want to pour new wine into you. We are meant to be the new wineskin. Unless we're changed, we'll not be able to receive what God has for us now. When I sat at that conference, I was an old wineskin. I was leading a church. I think we were. I don't know if we had started Seashore by then. But I was an old wineskin because I went, God, if that's you, I don't want that. And God said, well, unless you're made new, you won't get that. So enjoy the old wine. It's more palatable. It tastes good. It's smooth. But that's not what I have for you. And boy, was I uncomfortable. I felt rustled. I'm like, come on, God. Really? When do you need the new wineskin? Before or after the new wine comes? Before or after? So if the new wine's pouring and you don't have the new wineskin, what happens? You're out of luck. You need to be the new wineskin before the new wine comes. For us, that means there's a preparation that needs to happen in our own hearts before God pours in the new wine. Do you know what we want? We want, show me the new wine and then I'll become the new wineskin. Show me the signs and the wonders and the miracles, and then I'll believe. They told Jesus the same thing. And he said, even if you see someone raised from the dead, you still won't believe. So Jesus stopped doing as many signs, wonders, and miracles, and he began to just teach. And some of his teaching was like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. So he didn't actually make it easier with the teaching. But you got to be made new before the wine comes. Why is it that we keep saying the same thing the Jewish leaders said? Show us the signs and we'll believe. Show me the miracles and then I'll change. It's too late. Change now and when the new wine comes, you'll be filled with the Spirit. How do we change? How do we become a new wineskin? We let God transform us from the inside out. 
When we submit our hearts to Him and we let His Spirit flow in us, it begins to change the way we think and change the way we see the world. It doesn't mean you throw away everything you did in the past. I was raised in a Presbyterian church, a Spirit-filled, charismatic Presbyterian church, which I only realized later that's an unusual thing to be, a charismatic Presbyterian church. But then I realized there were a lot of things that that church operated in that I don't believe biblically anymore. And I was confronted with, well, God, I now see why nobody ever got saved in that church. But it doesn't mean I throw out everything I ever learned about God. It just means that there's one area that God wants to give me new wine in. So hold on to the good, cling to the good, but you can put away the stuff that maybe was just wrong teaching. But you don't have to kick out everything that you were told. They were bad people because they told me something wrong. They were operating on what they knew. It's okay. And I'm not perfect. I'm not a theological scholar. But I realize there's a new wine that he wants to pour in me that requires that part of my upbringing to be made new. I can't take that old wineskin that God doesn't do that anymore and bring it into what he wants to do right now. We've got to be changed. New wine requires a new wineskin. The old wine has run out. We need new wine. But when the wine flows, the wine goes. The W-H-I-N-E. When the new wine begins to come, the wines go. I'm amazed that as a pastor, I can, I, can, I can succumb to all the pressure to make a church that you like. I can very quickly just go, well, what would you like to have in our church? And how long would you like our services to be? And what songs do you like to sing? What coffee do you like? What kind of things would you want to have? And I could take surveys. What time do you think we should have services? What, what, do you, what do you think? Now, I always want to pick up on what's not working, right? But ultimately, what I've noticed is when the new wine comes, none of that matters. Oh, my gosh. I feel the service length thing. I know that surprises you. But I had this wine thing in me that's just like hour and a half max. We got to be out, man. Come on. But you know when I feel that pressure? I feel that pressure when my wines run out. Now, I'm not saying you have to have a seven-hour service in order for God to show up. But when the new wine comes, then worship and prayer and serving never stop. The revivals of old were marked by never stopping worship. Like the candle of the Lord never went out that there were services that were happening five or seven days a week, sometimes 24 hours a day. It just kept going and going and going, and lines were wrapped around the building. The sad thing that I've seen is when people try to hold services seven days a week, 24 hours a day without the new wine. The key to having the new wine is having long services. No, 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 no. The key to the new wine the key to the new wine is becoming a new wineskin. Letting God transform you from the inside out. Then when the new wine comes, there will not be enough buildings to house the revival that God wants to bring. Can I give you a little sneak peek of what I've been really praying about and thinking about? Have you noticed how many commercial properties are just completely empty right now? 
And they'll tell you, real estate-wise, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the problem why all these commercial real estate buildings are vacant, some of it's online shopping, but this area way overbuilt commercial real estate years ago. Didn't build enough residential, but built way, way more commercial real estate than our market actually needed. Do you know MacArthur Mall over here for sale? The whole mall for sale. Anybody want to write a check? The whole mall. I don't like to see businesses go out of business. But I think God's got a plan in all this. I think that when the new wine begins to flow, we're going to need a lot of those commercial buildings. We're going to need, we're going to look at MacArthur Mall and go, man, I hope we can fit everybody in there. I hope if we gut that place, it'll be enough to house the revival. Not that we need buildings to do it. What I'm saying is, are you prepared to receive the new wine that he's going to bring to our area? Because we can sit here and pray for revival to come from heaven, but if we're not going through the process of personal revival, we're going to miss out. Revival doesn't just happen when God sends it. Revival happens. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay. So what happens? That was my introduction. (laughs) Isaiah 55, 1. The prophet says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The people at this wedding were still thirsty even though the wine ran out. And I'm telling you, the church is still thirsty. The church is still thirsty. (coughs) And there has to be more. Mary knew they had a problem, but she also knew who the answer was. She recognized the wine's run out, but Jesus is at this wedding. I'm going to go to Jesus. What does he tell her? Woman, why do you involve me? Now, it depends on how you picture Jesus. It's how you interpret that scripture right there. Woman! It's not that. This was not a term of derogatory term. This was actually a term of endearment. Woman, why do you involve me? There's actually no rebuke in that. And I feel like in that question, as he's asking his mother, woman, why do you involve me? I can just picture Mary going, because I don't have what this requires. I I can't turn water to wine, Jesus. I don't have what this requires. She recognizes that she was lacking and that she can't provide. I think the church must recognize that when the wine stops flowing, all the resources of earth cannot bring it back. No amount of buildings, projects, discipleship programs, or money can buy this wine. It's not the resources of man that gets the wine to flow. When the wine ran out, (coughs) what did she tell the disciples? Do whatever he tells you. When the wine runs out, do whatever he tells you. If you hear nothing else from what I say today, when the wine runs out, do whatever he tells you to do. That's the key. Whenever you run out of wine, do whatever he tells you. It's the Shema, the hear and obey. Hear God and do what he says. It's what Jesus told him. And what did Jesus tell him to do? 
go fill up these jars with water. Not go next door, that guy's got plenty of wine in his cellar, go get his. Fill up these jars, the ones for, not wine jars, not kegs, not whatever you put wine into, barrels, whatever. Just go get those ordinary jars and fill them with water. Go do that. I don't know about you, but even if it's Jesus, if he's telling me, go fill these things up with water, my first thought is, how does this help us with our wine problem? I'm linear, Jesus. I'm a linear thinker. How does filling up jars with water help us with our wine problem? Doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain to me the next four steps in the process? And Jesus loves to not explain the next four steps in the process. Do you know that often the greatest miracles you'll see are on the back of being asked something to do that you think has nothing to do with what you need? You have a need. And maybe in your mind you have an idea of how that need gets met. And then Jesus asks you something to do that seems to have nothing to do with the need that you have. How does filling up jars of water help us with our wine problem? But when you run out of wine, do whatever he tells you. That's the challenge of living, being led by the Spirit, is doing what God says, when he tells you to do it, how he tells you to do it, regardless of whether you think it will work or not. We must hear and obey. Often the greatest miracles are on the other side of obedience to a word from God that doesn't make sense. He tells a crippled man, pick up your mat and walk. He tells the crowd, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He tells the most oppressed people on the earth, the Jews being oppressed by the Roman government, forgive everyone and pray for those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? Isn't the Messiah supposed to come and annihilate the Romans? Are you just supposed to wave your hand and they all die and then we get to live victorious? No, I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless those who persecute you. And if they ask you to walk one mile, I want you to walk two. Man, why is it that obedience never makes sense to me? I know for me and Romy, God told us we, we were in a fairly comfortable position and on staff at a church and growing church. And God says, quit your job. Trust me to start a new work that I've got planned for you. You don't know what it's going to look like, but I want you to quit your job, move out, trust me. Oh, and by the way, don't do anything for a year, but pray and fast. Because you're going to need to get this full download from me of what this is going to look like. So I was like, all right, God, sounds good. From the day I left, it's like, all right, salary's gone, health insurance is gone, everything's gone. I'm driving for Uber. So I'm side hustling left and right, thinking I got to pay my mortgage this month, I got to put food on the table. And the God goes, yeah, I actually don't want you to work either. I don't want either of you to have a job. Just pray fast and listen to what I have for you. All right? Whew. Okay, God. Oh, by the way, and then he tells Remy, and I want you to start grad school. Not one classes, but two. Did you not hear Jesus that I... I don't have a job. I don't have any income. You told me to quit my job, and now I'm adding expenses. That's not a really great budgeting idea. 
Yeah, I know. By the way, when you start this church, don't ask for money. Don't even talk about it. Don't ask people to come. Just gather together with your family and watch who I bring to you. All I want you to do is teach them how to hear from me and teach them to obey everything that I command and watch what happens. Can I tell you, none of that made any sense to me whatsoever. But that year for us was a year of financial blessing that we had not seen in the previous 16 years. Do you know that right after Romy stopped looking for a job, because I was putting her to work, you knew that, right? <laughs> right after she said not to, there's a girl that shows up on our porch, knocks on our door, and says, the Lord told me to give you this check. And it wasn't a huge check, but it was like, what do you mean? She goes, I'm sitting in my church, writing out my tithe check, and God says, don't give it here, give it to Clayton Romy, they're planning a church here. And I'm like, I cannot take that check. Like, that goes in the church that you're in. Please, we don't even have a church. I'm not asking for money. She goes, did you ask me? I said, no. And she goes, will you tell me to disobey God? And I was like, uh, <coughs> Lord, I have a hard time taking money from people when the check is written out to me personally because we haven't incorporated the church or anything like that. And he goes, oh, you like to be in control, don't you? I hate when he does that. So then Romy comes and tells me, oh, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to start grad school. And I said, man, that's beautiful. Praise God. Five years from now, right? <laughs> no, I need to sign up today. <sighs> How much is it? She gave me this amount. And I went, well, that's well beyond anything I've got faith for. You ever had that moment? When God tells you to do something, it's like, I actually don't have faith for it. But yet I'm still going to trust him anyway. You know what I mean? And then she goes, oh, by the way, it's not one class, it's two classes, and I forgot the library fee is like another whatever. I said, how much is it? And I was like, God, I'm so far out of my depths. And it was a very specific amount. The next day, we get a knock on our door, and someone says, God woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and told me to write a check to you for this very specific amount. Does this mean anything to you? And handed Romy a check for the exact amount of both classes and all of her library fees. This person knew nothing about our conversation or what that cost was. And it was to the dollar, wasn't it? The exact amount. I went, <laughs> new wine. This isn't the way I used to do things. So then we got to plan a church, God. We got to, church requires money. It requires finances. And I've been a part of planting churches. I know how to raise money. I know how to put plans together and inspire people to give and all that sort of stuff. So I don't want you doing that. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that stuff, but that's not what I want you to do. Just teach people how to hear from me. People began to bring us checks and say, I know you're worth, they still thought I was still driving for Uber for like three months. Like, do you think I'm paying my mortgage on Uber? Um, and, and so anyway, I just, I laugh at it, right? I said, the Lord told us to, we don't want you to have to work. We, we're going to support you. And I still resisted. I still went, no. And God's like, hello. Stop trying to make that old wineskin new again. This is new. And they began to support us financially and support the church for that whole year. I just went, God, what is this? 
I don't understand. I'm not following any of the plans for church planning that work very successfully in this country. I'm not doing all the things that, but man, am I sleeping good at night. He said, that's the new wine. Do you want more? Then become a new wineskin. There's other areas of your heart and your thinking that still need to change. I need you to hear and obey me when what I tell you doesn't make sense to you. I need you to hear and obey me when you don't see the results right away. I told you the results that I saw very quickly. Trust me, there's things that I've obeyed God I still not yet have seen the fruit of. But I can stand on the testimony of what he's done. And I can say the same God that provided then will provide now. So I'm not worried about the future. What I'm worried about is whether I've done everything that he's told me to do. This is the upside down kingdom. That's the problem. The kingdom seems upside down. Forgive those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? That's upside down. But the world is what's upside down. It's not the kingdom. When you're right side up, the wisdom of the world looks upside down. Do you know what's upside down for me? Disobedience. That's crazy. You mean God told you something and you didn't do it right away? Are you insane? Do you not only know the potential danger that you've put yourself in, but do you know what you've missed out on? The fruit of obedience. There is nothing like it. That's the new wine. Disobedience is crazy. When you see the result of simple disobedience, uh, simple obedience, disobedience is no longer an option. And when the wine begins to flow, why would you settle for anything less? Chapter, verse 2 of that Isaiah 55 thing, it's all right, you don't have to put it up. He says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? satisfy? Why would I spin my wheels doing things the world tells me I'm supposed to do when all I have to do is obey what God told me? He will provide for you. It's not just my story. There are so many stories here of your obedience and God's provision on the back of it. His blessing, that's the new wine. Last thing. Oh. What I love about this story is that Jesus always saves the best for last. That's what they said of the wine. Everyone brings out the good stuff and then the cheap stuff, but you save the best for last. Jesus always saves the best for last. Do you know that Jesus' teaching was so good, but his sacrifice was better? Do you know that his sacrifice was so good Provided for the forgiveness of our sins. But his resurrection was way better. It means that we have eternal life with him. Do you know his resurrection was so good? But the sending of the Holy Spirit was even better than that. The outpouring at Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, here to stay, is the best that Jesus saved for last. It was the fulfilled promise of the new wine that was to come. But in order to make new wine, the grape 
has to be crushed in order to make the new wine. The crushing of Jesus because of our sin meant that new wine now flows. The new wine that's for you came at a cost. And the cost was not your will. The cost was His life. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our sins. But out of that flowed the new wine that we get to live in and experience today. Pentecost was always the goal. It's not just your freedom, but it's His power and it's His presence in you forever. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the new wine. And if you've run out of the new wine, if you run out of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, do whatever He says. It really is that simple. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Those who believe in me, streams of living water will flow from him. That's the new wine coming out of you. Water, spirit, wine, it's all the same thing. Jesus said in John chapter 3, 3, you must be born again. And in Matthew 9, 17, he said, we must become a new wineskin. There is no choice. If you're not made new, you don't get new. So pray with me this morning as we close. God, I thank you for the new wine. Send your new wine. Send your new wine. Send your new wine. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, if you haven't given your life to him and received his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life, if that's you right now where you are, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. I want to give you the opportunity to pray to ask Jesus into your heart. Thank you. Anybody else that says, yep, I want to begin a new life with him. And we're going to begin there. We'll repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe you died for my sins. I give my life to you. And I receive your forgiveness. Help me to be who you created me to be. Amen. If you've not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, or maybe you were filled at one time, but you've run out of wine. And you want to be filled again. Would you stand to your feet? All across this room. This is not to embarrass anybody. But simply by that act of standing up, you are saying, I'm ready to be a new wineskin. I'm ready for the power to flow in me again. No longer am I satisfied with what I've had but I want to be made new so that I can flow with the new. Lift your hands to heaven. If we can get our apostolic team, just help me lay hands on people and pray for people, that'd be great. We're going to have some people lay hands on you and they're going to pray for you. They're going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that if anybody asks for bread, what father would give them a stone? Or give them a serpent? If a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give you the Holy Spirit? God's not going to give you an evil spirit. God's not going to leave you empty. He wants to fill you right now with the power of his Spirit, but you've got to ask him for it. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive him the same way that you received your salvation. It's by faith. 
So by faith right now, we declare that we trust you, that we believe you. And Father, I pray right now, send the Holy Spirit. Send him. Let tongues of fire come again on this place. For every hungry heart, be filled now with the Holy Spirit. From the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Thank you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.